The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, retool your super collider later on. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 380 with guest Franz Bauma, recorded live Monday, August 25th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says... Seven hundred billion dollars? Are you fucking kidding me? Carl Franklin. Hey, hey, hey! It's .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin here in Connecticut. Richard Campbell out there in Canada. Yes, sir. British Columbia, Canada. You know we're having an election too. You're having a what? We're having an election. Too. Oh, I thought you said something else. I'm sorry. Uh, what were you thinking about? I just don't know. <laughs> oh, it's not what I was thinking about, actually. I just didn't know what you said. Uh, okay. You're having an election. We are so. having an election, but we're not having a financial meltdown. Well, that's good. But yeah. you know what? You would be having a financial meltdown if if uh, if things were allowed to continue. Well, I don't it, know. You know, I am very, I, I am really pissed that it got to this point. I'm really pissed, and I and I do think that the people responsible for it should be hung. But I don't. But I also can understand that uh, it's going to take borrowing a boatload of money to to bail it out and just to make things. But you know, what about the next time? Well, and that's the thing is, this happened 20 years ago with the savings and loan crisis, and it was the same answer was creating this government fund. Yeah, so. it just doesn't. It doesn't smell good. It's unfortunate, but you know, it's the best thing. I think they're doing the best thing they can. So yeah, I think after after they do that, I think they should focus their sights on okay. Now, how did this happen? And let's not do it again, please. Yeah, I think some reformation is in order. But I think some definite reformations in order. This is not a political no, it's economic not. show. But come on, are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah, seven hundred billion. 
That's a big number. Come on. I only ask you for one billion. I mean, yeah, come really. On. I know a lot of people have written to the government to say, "Hey, my business folded. Can you bail me out?" Right. I'm personally bankrupt. Can you? Uh, yeah. If, if you're going to fail, you have to fail big. Yeah. Let's just you know. All right. So let's get the better know framework. Love this. this. What do you got? What I got. What what you want? <laughs> baby, I got it. I knew Aretha was going to show up here sooner or later. <laughs> well, we do share the same name. Nice. And, uh, you know, we're cut from the same cloth. We're related, actually. No, we're not. Uh, <laughs> it's just one, been one of those days, Richard. I'm sorry. I'm getting that. I'm sorry I'm for sorry. wasting I'm, your time. I'm, Scott Hanselman is rolling his eyes right now. Very nice. Uh, what I want to talk about is UTF-8. Oh. And UTF-8 encoding, which is a class in system.txt. You know, UTF-8 is one of those things that you're humming along as a developer and everything's going along fine. And then suddenly, boom, UTF-8. What the heck is that? So I know a lot of people have may have used it before. And they, they kind of know that it's some sort of encoding thing. But, but we don't really understand why. So I'm going to explain it a bit. So it's the 8-bit UCS Unicode transformation format. And uh, it's what it is, is it's a way to encode Unicode data as ASCII, because everybody knows the Internet is based on ASCII. Right. UTF-8 is backward compatible with ASCII, so the ASCII characters in UTF-8 are just ASCII characters. They're still where they're supposed to be. They're still where they're supposed to be. But each character is one to four octets, so or bytes. So the idea is that these bigger characters, you know, the characters beyond the ASCII get encoded in a certain way. And there's also, by the way, UTF-7 for 7-bit, UTF-16 for 16-bit, UTF-32. And then there's a whole handful of other things, too. But UTF-8 is sort of like the de facto standard for encoding Unicode strings uh, over the Internet. It's become the standard for web browsers and email and all sorts of things. So right. if you need to encode Unicode text as uh, as ASCII, essentially, you want to use the system.txt.utf8 encoding class. Know it, love it, learn it. That's what we're here for. Love it. Love it. Love it. It's been one of those days, Richard. What can I say? You got an email for us? I do have an email for you, and I'm going to do my very best to behave okay. while I'm reading this email. Because we have class. Because we do have class. We are not low-level creatures here. That's it. We do not stoop. We do not stoop. No. So I'm just going to read it. Okay. And I'm going to breathe. Okay. Here we go. I've heard you guys poke a lot of fun at us Fox Pro developers on .NET Rocks. Stop no shaking your heads no while so you smile and look surprised. You no know comment. you have. No comment. I'm not saying anything. Nope. But here is your chance to redeem yourselves. Your redemption is as easy as this. Would you please announce the upcoming Southwest Fox 2008 Fox Pro Developers Conference, October 16th to 19th, 2008 in Mesa, Arizona? No. No, we won't. Yeah, we won't do that. Sorry. Not a chance. Because if we did, we'd have to say stuff like, over a dozen presenters, many of them MVPs, on 30 VFP topics, including .NET extensions in FoxPro, and the first live presentation of Craig Boyd's VFP Studio, a FoxPro IDE based on Visual Studio Shell platform. And we'd send all listeners to www.swfox.net. Will you do it? That's what we'd say if we were going to announce it. And we're not going to. We're not going to. No, we just don't do that. We're not going to tell any FoxPro jokes. Nope, we won't stoop. 
We're not going to stoop. We're not going to say a thing. It's too so, easy. Sorry, Matt. No. And uh, we are in the throes of the .NET Rocks Tech Ed 2008 Barcelona contest, where you can win a free pass and free airfare and free hotel at Tech Ed Developer in Barcelona, Spain, November 10th through the 14th. One lucky winner will get to go uh, carte blanche. Well, not really carte blanche, just hotel, airfare, and admission. All those other charges that you want to incur uh, while you're shopping in Barcelona, that's up to you. Got to pay your own booze. But, however, and there's more. You could also win a Tom Bin brain bag. We have a few more of those to give away. Cool. This is the, what we're doing. If you go to .nerocks.com slash Barcelona or click on the nice Barcelona logo on our front page there, you can just answer a question about last week's show in the... Uh, you know, right there on the web page. It's if you're paying attention, you'll probably get it. Right. And then uh, every week, every Tuesday, we choose a winner from uh, all the answers that were correct. We choose one. That person uh, gets a brain bag, which is the best bag ever made, hands down. Yes. Uh, Richard, how long have you had your brain bag? Five years. Do you have one one even thread that's coming undone on that? Not thread? a bit. They The... The shoulders are still perfect. The zippers are intact. Like the new. snaps all work. It's amazing. It's completely bulletproof, and nobody believes my bag's that old. Yeah, it's amazing. It doesn't even like get dirty or something. It's no, like this, amazing. I don't. They, the material it's made from is just astonishing. They like make helicopters out of that stuff. Or I something. know it's, it's something else. It's the best bag ever. Uh, so then the the brain bag winners will then go into a pool, and on October twentieth, we're going to choose a winner. A lucky winner to go to Barcelona with us. We're going to be there. We're going to be there. We're going to be there during the IT week. That's actually. right. Yeah, we'll be there for the IT week, and I'll be there with Greg Hughes. Be doing Run As Radio, Speaker Idol, all that good stuff. Right. And the best thing is, this was the new deal for this year. Yes. If you can't make it this year, yep. the pass is good for next year. Yeah. So if you need time to plan, if you can't just drop everything and run off the tech ed, you can come with us next year because we'll be there. I guarantee it. Yep. I got an announcement. You do? Yeah. The folks from the PDC sent me an email and said, guess what? I'm all ears. They're going to unveil Windows 7 at the PDC. Wow. In fact... They're actually going to be giving away pre-release copies of Windows 7 to all the folks attending the keynote talk of Steven Sanofsky, who's the guy who's in charge of the, the Windows Live Engineering Group. I also noticed David Treadwell is going to be talking. Our good friend, David Treadwell, who did an amazing show with us. Yeah. Uh, do you know anything about Windows 7 that you can talk about? I, you know, I don't know much. Uh, I, I really haven't had a chance to dig into it. We're so busy with everything else that's going on. It's amazing to me, though, that Windows 7 is at a point where they already want to show it. And apparently they're going to do over 20 sessions wow. on developing against Windows 7. Wow, cool. So it's amazing. And if you remember the PDC a few years ago, you know, the Windows PDCs have always been the ones that were absolutely astonishing. Right, right. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what's happening there. Uh, you know, on my wish list. What's that? WinFS. Yeah. Or something yeah. like it. You know, I don't some, know. some new you file know, system. It, I don't know that WinFS exists in the form that, well, I know that. that we once knew it. But. but, you know, some sort of indexed, you know, searchable file system with metadata would well, be I'm nice. I'm sure they're headed that way. But we'll find out. you got to go to the PDC yeah, we to don't see. Know. I, honestly, I have no idea. I, I, we really don't. Yeah. No idea. 
And on to our guest. Franz Balma started programming in 1986 on a Toshiba MSX-1 at the age of 16. After graduating with a bachelor degree in computer science from the Hoga School Enschede in the Netherlands in 1994, I want you to know I practice hard to say that. Yeah, right? okay. <laughs> he started working with 4GL systems in post-relational databases like Universe. In 1996, he founded Solutions Design, a company for database-driven web application development. As the lead developer, he developed medium-to-large enterprise web applications using SQL Server, AS400, COM+, Visual C++, Visual Basic, and ASP. In 2001, Solution Design produced a content management system completely based on Microsoft technologies like SQL Server 2000, COM+, Visual C++, VB6, and ASP. In 2002, Franz developed in C-Sharp his first .NET application, the open-source LLBL Gen code generator for SQL Server, stored procedures, and .NET classes. Due to the worldwide success of LLBL Gen, Franz designed and developed in 2003 for Solutions Design the OR Mapper and code generator LLBL Gen Pro, which is currently one of the market-leading data access solutions for .NET, C-Sharp, and VBNet. Franz received for his community efforts the MVP award for C Sharp in 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007, and 2008, and works full time on LLBL Gen Pro enhancements. In 2006, HND, a full featured support system slash forum system for ASP.NET 2.0, was released as open source in the GPL, written and designed by Franz Balma. In 2008, Franz released a full link provider for LLBL Gen Pro in 2.6 of that ORM. You can contact Franz via email, franz at sd.nl. Welcome, Franz. Hey, welcome uh, back on the show, I think. Yeah, yes. I, I was safe to say uh, a friend of the show. I'm really glad you came back on. Yeah, thanks for having me. First time we had you here, we were talking about LLBL Gen Pro. Yes. And uh, the, the incredible success you had. I believe it was one of your users that pointed it out to us. I'm, I had known its existence from... Um, Kathleen Dollard, who has been a fan of code generation for a long time. Yes. And uh, you seem to have uh, created quite a product there. Yeah, we have quite a fan base and customer base uh, at the moment. So, so um, well, it's been a long time already on the market. So, uh... And, you know, back, back when last year when you came on the show, you were part of a collection of shows I was doing just trying to get a, a picture of the landscape of what ORM was all about. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's funny to think that we were just guessing about what Entity Framework was going to be like back then. And now a year yeah. later, things a lot of things have happened. Yeah, exactly. Uh, first, Microsoft released uh, Link to SQL. It started off quite well. Now it's uh, at the back seat, I believe. They released Entity Framework. And, well, I don't know what, what the future of that will bring, but... Um, well, looking at us, um, at the last show, I was a bit worried and also a bit not worried about what, what the anti-framework would, would do to us and uh, for the, our uh, landscape uh, in general. And when I look at um, at the situation now, I, uh, it's, it's actually not something to worry about when you look at um, how many users uh, we still see uh, coming in every week. And... Um, the discussions on the internet uh, about uh, data access solutions between people and uh, on various uh, forum systems. 
I don't think it's. Um, I think Link SQL enabled a lot of um, uh, interest in in ORM and and data access in general. And um, I think the that's about um, achievement that will. Uh, how you say it? I find this a tough question to answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but let me change gears for you a little bit then, Franz. Yeah, because I, I'm i not really sure what to say and what not to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, speak your mind, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, that, that's true, but there's <laughs> a lot of people listening. <laughs> that's, that's quite all right. Yeah. So um, the landscape has changed a lot with the new tools from, from Microsoft um, on one side. And on the other side, I don't think it will. It has changed enough for them uh, at the moment that there will be uh, that they are a significant force in the object relational mapper world. Um, for once, the, the, on one side, uh, Link to SQL had a good start, but uh, after a while, they um, they put it on the back seat. What do you think has gone wrong with Link with SQL already that it's it, it seems to have lost its luster really quickly? Well, I don't think it's it, 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 it's um, it's really a failure, but I think uh, a, lo- a lot of people will start with it and, and maybe like it, but I don't think they will like the overall package. I think they like the uh, overall concept of working with objects and using uh, a system to persist data to the database. Right. Um, and I think it's it's the same with the data grid. When you start uh, .NET programming, you see the data grid, and you put it on a form, and it's all nice and dandy, but after a while, you see the limitations, and you want to use a real grid, so you go to a third party and buy a real grid. So by limitations, are you talking about anonymous types, per, for example, or what, what sort of limitations are you referring to? Uh, of in, in in the case of Link to SQL, it's, yeah. it, it, it's definitely their their editor, their designer, on one side because the, it cannot do uh, model refreshment, and that's one of the, the basic things that that um, that are very important because when you are in a in a team and a da- and a DBA changes the database or, or has to change has to change the database. Um, the developer wants to refresh the, the, the model it has in a, in a designer, but it can't do that because it, it's not built in. Um, and it's also just for SQL Server, of course. Um, I mean, you look down in, into the runtime framework, it's, um, it doesn't have a real good uh, eager loading solution, like you want to fetch a whole hierarchy of, of entities like customer, order, order details. The first level is, is okay, but the, the level below it, it's it's really uh, inefficient. Now, are we talking about link to SQL here? Yeah, we're calling link to SQL. Um, but on the other other side, it, it, it it's really okay for 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 small uh, for small applications, of course. But I think it's it's really uh, nice for the party OR mapper uh, developers that. Uh, a lot of people are introduced to our mapping using Link to SQL, so they get acquainted, they get uh, used to the concept, and then they will step up and look for other solutions. 
That's what I was thinking was, it seems like Link to Sequel is just a stepping stone. Once you start going down that path, you quickly find out you want to move on to something more sophisticated. Yes. And I'm yes. thinking, is the next step linked to entities? Um. Well, let's let's just ask the question first of all. Tell us what your thoughts are in the entity framework. Have you downloaded and used it? Have you checked it out? Yes, I've checked it out. Uh, oh, but I uh, I looked at the model modeling format, the the, the EDM. Right. Uh, and there's one strange thing in it where when you look at uh, their editor, their designer, is that you can you cannot map. You cannot define uh, everything uh, you can do in the XML inside the, the, the editor. For example, if you want to uh, create multiple mappings in an, uh, for an entity in different entity sets, you can do that in the designer, but you can in the XML file. So that's a very powerful feature for them, but for the designer, it's not non-existent. So the user will look at the, the feature set for the entity framework through the designer. It will see, hey, that feature is not there or it's not really uh, um, usable. What, what exactly is the feature that wasn't there in the designer? Um, well, when you have, for example, a customer entity, you can say, well, the entity set for the customer is the customer set, for example. But in the XML file, you can define multiple entity sets for a single entity. Okay. Um, and that can be helpful because you can then define multiple mappings for the, single, for the same entity. It's very complex. It's a very complex feature, but it can be useful when you have a lot of... Uh, when you have a very wicked database model you have to map to. So. Is that something that you think could be expressed visually that just was overlooked? Uh, yes, I, yes, I think it can, yeah. Um, but an, another weird thing I thought was the, that their um, designer is really limited because when you have a lot of entities uh, in your model, you, you have to work visually. But, so you cannot say... You cannot type in uh, customer new. Uh, you cannot uh, define textual the the entity you want to you want to define. So you have to go to the uh, toolbox and drag it on the canvas, and that will add it to the model. And then you have to click on it, and then you have to go to the property um, property uh, window, and then you have to change it there, and then you have to go to the mapping mapping thingy. It's really fragmented, and um, I find it cumbersome to use. So, mm. uh, I love this because one of the things that folks have been saying is that that Entity Framework strength is this UI that many of the other ORM products out there don't have. You end up mired in an XML config file. So I'm I'm just thrilled that you've sort of hit the limits of what the UI of Entity Framework can do. Yeah, well. Just start with uh, the AdventureWorks database, for example. Yeah. If you, if you <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Step over that that, that, that that gut feeling, but actually, it, it's a nice database. Come but on. you know, you, I mean, you're hitting on a real salient point, which is that it's very easy in simple databases to use anything you want. 
Yeah. Where this stuff matters is when the database model gets really complicated. And we, some people, we complain that AdventureWorks is overcomplicated at times, but you ought, the tool ought to be able to absorb that. Yes. Actually, well, we have customers with the databases over 2,000 tables. Now, I don't want them to, I, I don't think they will ever be able to see the whole model in the Entity Framework Designer. For example, the, there was a guy who, I don't call the, the, the link, but he, he tried to read a thousand table database into um, into the entity framework designer and was still trying to update the model the next day. Mm. Uh, well, that's just not smart. So there, it does choke at some point. Yeah, the, the XML file was, was okay, but the, the visual layout engine was still trying to update the, the form, the, the, the window, so... That's, of course, a very big limitation in the designer. And the sad thing is for them is that every user who will use the entity framework will see it through the designer. So if the designer is limited, they will, they will think the entity framework is limited. I want to just take a minute to bring you a message from our sponsor, Telerik, and let you know that this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik. You know summer is in full swing now, and you're probably lying on the beach. But our friends at Telerik are working hard as usual to bring you exciting new stuff for your .NET toolbox. How about two brand new control suites, RAD Controls for WPF and RAD Controls for Silverlight. That's right. If you started building next-generation applications, you now have UI components with Telerik quality and Telerik reliability. Both product lines are derived from the same code base, and share the same API, so transition is seamless. Uh, they have many improvements in the other robust suites for ASP.NET, AJAX, and Windows Forms also, as well as the intuitive reporting tool. But product alone isn't everything. To jumpstart your projects and help you easily get up to speed with these great tools, Telerik has got a couple of unique training resources, the Telerik Interactive Trainer and Telerik TV, of course, which I'm the host of. Now that's what I call summer heat. Go check out all the details at Telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. And if you happen to run into those guys, say thanks for supporting .NET Rocks. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I hear a lot of the, um, the uh, criticisms of the Entity Framework really have to do with the fear of what people will think. What uh, Microsoft yeah. has to do? No, 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 no. What people will think when they use that, because all of these implied things that uh, you think the developers aren't going to be smart enough to figure out that these limitations are just near limitations of the version, not, uh, you know, directive sort of advice as to how to do things or, or what. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the criticisms I hear of the Entity Framework are just that. Yes. Yeah, well, you, you agree? Well, some things are, are, aren't really bad because... Uh, their philosophy to 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 create a one uh, platform for for everybody yeah. for the report guys for the hardcore developers right that's a good, that's a nice vision but i think they they release too soon mm-hmm. because if you if you see the 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 um, the designer they they shipped which isn't really up to par um i their their foreign key primary key limitations that currently aren't really good. So, um, so what happens if people use this 
now, and then another version of the entity framework comes out, you know, V2 or V11 or whatever. And uh, do you think that the limitations are such that uh, re-engineering will be required? Um, no, I, you mean with backwards compatibility with yeah. the current stuff? Yeah, right. Do you think that... Uh, that the you know the 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 newer version, the next version that comes out, should be smart enough to pick up on those uh, deficiencies and uh, and help. Uh, you know, I guess what I'm saying is, are, are we going to have to go back and redo a bunch of stuff if we use the entity framework now? Um, I'm not sure. Well, there are a couple of things. Um. Well, the history of Microsoft is that they will try to avoid breaking uh, changes as much as possible. Yeah, they they have to. They will drag along but... everything that they what they've ever released. So, um, but you move aside the, the limitations in the designer, mm. and you uh, and they fix the the problems with the with the the basic beginner fault in their framework at the moment. So. Perhaps it will work out someday, but I don't foresee a lot of breaking changes at the moment. But. Yeah. But, you know, you brought up an interesting point right at the beginning of this conversation here that, you know, as much as actually Entity Framework shipping, and, and I, there was a point there where I really wondered if it was going to happen. When it missed oh, you and me Visual both, buddy. What's that? You and me both. Yeah, when it missed the Visual Studio 2008 cutoff, I thought, ah, oh, yeah. it's doomed. It's nice that it, I mean, it's made it, and that's all very interesting, but I just can't see that the adoption of a V1 product that high. Lots of people are thinking about how they want to do data access differently, but I think the movement is very slow. Yes, and exactly because of their, uh, um, well, they now have to hope that, 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 that everybody's installing SourcePack 1, but eventually everybody will do. Right. But then... Then again, uh, who is looking at what what new features are inside a service pack? Oh, now uh, another OR mapper is added to the to the Visual Studio toolset. But if you are in a in a project and the project is using Visual Studio 2008, 2008, um, they are simply focusing on what. What's in the toolbox? Uh, at the vanilla toolbox, I think. So, um, I think it will fail, it will be a very slow adoption. Like, uh, what's new and what can we do with this? If we, yeah, there's already linked to SQL. So, what's new in in this framework? Hmm. But I think I also think that the the, the amount of people. I think it's over. Oh, how do you say it? Um, I think it's uh, the amount of people who are using Visual Studio 2.8 and Link and .NET 3.5. I think that that whole group is very small compared to the people who are still on .NET 2.0 and Visual Studio 2005. I, I agree yeah. that. It's probably going slower than we think. Although yeah. there's really not that much consequence to switching to 2008, is there? I think it's more the change in the framework and starting to use the new features. It's a big deal. Yes. Yeah, but if you are if you are on a project 
that's using 2.0 and Visual Studio 2005 with 15 developers, for example, would you switch to 2008 and .NET 3.5? I don't think a lot of people will do that because uh, every change might break something. Uh, they have to uh, reschool some developers, perhaps. Yes. I don't think it... When you... When you look at the advancements uh, with linked to objects, for example, it, it will make a big impact on the, the whole development, but also um, making the change might also have a drawback. So I don't think it, a lot of projects will, will, will make the switch immediately. I think it will take at least a year or so because before uh, you will see significant link usage. You see that also with our uh, link provider, uh, if you see the amount of people who are using it uh, and coming with questions, it's really minor compared to the rest of the questions. I think people are still, and I, and I wonder if Link to SQL is part of the problem here, that people aren't seeing value in Link to SQL, and so they're ignoring the rest of Link. I'm, I'm really excited about Link to XML, but for no other reason than XQuery makes my brain hurt. XPath and all that other stuff. Yeah. yeah. I love Link to XML. I've never looked at it. <laughs> I, love, I love that. And XML literals in VB is fantastic. You sure? I love it. Okay. I just think that the majority of software developers out there today are using ADO.net against SQL Server or whatever hap- database they love, and it's working for them, and they've yeah. got to really think hard on, why would I want to do this differently? Yes, of course. But... That's a general question with, with everything that's new. For example, uh, .pf or, or WinForms with version 3 for LBLD. And I, I had to make a decision, should we go with uh, Windows Presentation Framework controls all over, or should we use WinForms again? Well, on one side, you have more performance with this uh, Windows Presentation Framework. It's new. We can do more things. And on the other side, that you have proof technology who I know as the back of my hand, I can do everything with it because I know the, the quirks and, and what to do and what not to do. And all the third-party controls are very mature. Yeah. So the, the choice is easy, but uh, I think it's also with the data access solutions, people who are writing a lot of top sieges or even, God forbid, um, inline SQL. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, and it works for them. Uh, why not? You know, this something as I've been watching this whole ORM thing go on and on, um, it just occurs to me that it's so much bigger than one product, that, that the, yes. the whole ORM thing is really where software development is, is headed toward in terms of, you know, the, the next big productivity uh, tool. Yes. And, and, I, and I don't know if anybody's got it right yet, but... Um, you know, and certainly there are issues that are fundamental to ORMs in general that people seem not to have solutions for yet. So I, I really think that this is big. And it, like I said, it goes beyond just an Hibernate or LLB Gen or Entity Framework or any of these things. Yes. That is, yeah. We haven't seen the last of it. I mean, it's just starting, really. Yes, because uh, I think three or four years ago you have... You had uh, the frameworks with the basic persistence right. done right. And nowadays you have the frameworks who are then uh, doing the things 
like persistence and are doing now more services on top of the persistence. Right. Like auditing, authorization, validation, uh, built in through dependency injection or intercepting or whatever. Yeah. And you can build on top of that again, like uh, whole dynamic data sites or uh, other A.NET data services, for example. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't think that we're, we're still, we are we are at the, the end of the season. No, no, it's just the beginning. Yes, there's so much more to do. But and yet, Microsoft is always. I mean, if you look at like OLAP, Microsoft came to the market late and yeah. really filled in the bottom of the net market. They gave a, essentially a free product. You have to buy it. You get it with SQL Server and brought and is bringing OLAP to, to every man kind of thing. Yeah. And now four versions in, it's actually quite a good product. And it's yeah. been eight years. Yeah, but I also don't get the sense that Microsoft meant to get into the ORM market, that that was not the original intent of this product. You mean they wanted to get into uh, something else or so? I think they were, you know, they, they, this is the question, and I, and I throw this at Danny Simmons every so often. Like, they, Do you remember at the beginning of this conversation a year ago, they said that any framework was not an ORM? <laughs> They're still saying that. <laughs> well, they, they right. sort of flip back and forth on this, and I just yes. get the sense that this was not the intent of their product. No. And then you get back to, you know, Steve Forte's comment of, you know, that the entity data model is the product and you can build ORMs on it. Yeah. Uh, I I still, when I read that or heard that, that remark, I was wondering, what what does he mean? Because ADM is uh, it's just metadata. Right. And every ORM mapper who has to work has, has the same metadata has some kind of metadata. I don't think they're all exactly the same, but you, they all have to have that, right? Yeah, like we have it in, uh, in our project object model in memory, and then Hibernate will build it from the reflection on sure. the classes and the mapping file. So at some point, the same metadata is there. Sure. So if you, if you save it to an XML file or you have it in memory, I, I think it's the, it's the same. So declaring that as much more, much bigger... Well, you know, I think what he was trying to say, and uh, not putting words in Mr. Forte's mouth, but he was trying to talk about the point that Microsoft needed some sort of common model to, you know, just some sort of common schema to work across multiple products at Microsoft, and they could not rely on a third-party or an open-source project to sort of define that model. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I think that's really what he was talking about is that it it goes beyond just the the ORM stuff and that the model the model consistency from product to product at Microsoft is uh, opens up a lot of doors for cross pollination of these products. I think. Uh, in that context, I agree uh, with it. But in the context of it, it's bigger than just an uh, ORM. I don't know. It's um. Well, I think that's exactly what he meant by that, actually. Okay. Well, and I know that there's a there's a part to be played here by the SQL Server team, and I, I get criticized when I bring this up, but I'm okay with that because the reality is, as a guy who's done a lot of work with SQL Server, there are problems in entities that need that see the SQL Server guys have too, like replication, 
where yeah. I want to be able to replicate the entity that is in order, not just the tables that are orders. Yes. Uh, and then you get a philosophical point, uh, what is an entity? Yeah. So is, uh, you have to have the same definition at the same abstraction level at both ends of the application or at both ends of the data stream, like application and database, or service and service. So um, I agree that, that if you have a, a common modeling format, like the EDM, and you define the entities in there, that's beneficial for a lot of other stuff, like designing reports and that kind of stuff. But it's still just metadata. So to do something with it, I think you have to define um, and write just an OR mapper like everybody else. They just, but I mean, mainly it's the mapper part, not so much the. I guess, can you really separate the data model from the mapper? They're the same thing, aren't they? Well, no. Yes, you can. The data model is just the, like Franz was saying, the the metadata format, you know, which is essentially defining how you define your entities. What is that metadata that defines what an entity is? Yeah, like like if you have um, at the abstraction level above an. ER model, which is just a one-to-one mapping to a, de- to a table. And if you have an entity definition, that's really an abstract definition. I mean, you project it onto a relational model, you get tables. I mean, you project it on code, you get classes. Right. But, so, um, I mean, you do that, you can um, reason over the data in code, like the data, like the same data in the database. But if you have a wicked database model that's already there, and the tables who are there really represent the abstract entities um, which aren't defined yet, then you can use uh, an uh, entity framework or another ORM mapper who, to, to reverse engineer that to the same abstraction level. Right. So what would you like to see in version 2? Or do you have an opinion? I mean, obviously, you're co- creating another product. Do you think they really compete? Uh, yeah, I, said, I think they compete. Yeah, but, I think so, too. Um, on the other hand, we, our, fr- our application is really two sides. The one side is the designer, where you define mappings and, and run a code generator. And the other side is the runtime framework. And the right. runtime framework competes with their runtime framework. But our designer, uh, we can do everything with it, uh, and they, I think they will release a, a, a designer who will just fit with their framework. And we can release a designer that can do much more than just that. So I think um, our product um, runtime library competes with their work, but our designer doesn't compete with their designer. So um, yeah, in version 3, we will support also the um, NT framework and our own uh, runtime model and, our, and, and Hibernate. So does that mean that you'll, you'll import um, the, the data models? Is that how that's going to work? Uh, there will be an uh, importion, import uh, service, like uh, for an Hibernate, for example, you point to classes and point to the mapping file and, and they'll reverse engineer the abstract entities. Okay. So now is that really just you're providing means for folks to to migrate from EF and then Hibernate to LLBL Gen Pro? 
No, it, it's uh, the first three is really the uh, the designer will be the designer for entity model our framework and then hibernate. So you can model first, so you can you can design entities and then map them to tables and or let the tool generate the tables for you. And uh, because you have one uh, format for the entity definitions, you can indeed switch from an Hibernate to an entity framework or switch from an Hibernate to our runtime framework. So that's one of the uh, aspects of having multiple uh, output formats for the same design. That's cool. So really then your designer becomes the hub. Whatever technique you want to work in, use the designer and you can go there. Yes, that's the philosophy behind it, yes. Yeah, that, that's also the uh, the one thing that we thought would be um, sufficient to survive the, the upcoming Link to SQL and Anti Framework uh, releases from Microsoft, because you cannot compete with just runtime features as a commercial um, OMAP vendor. Because right. on one side you have an Hibernate who will always migrate towards the state towards a state where they have more features than you will ever be able to implement. And on the other side, you will have uh, Microsoft and the large development teams there. So when you go into the uh, feature race with runtime frameworks, at the moment we are still ahead of what Microsoft uh, delivers, but I think in a few years uh, we'll be on par. Right. There won't be a selling point in... Uh, uh, in having more runtime features. But on the other side, the designer features, that's a large uh, uh, area where almost no tools exist. And it's really all about helping people visualize their data model in the form of entities. Yes, like, for example, um, the the domain expert who knows everything about the, the... line of business application uh, data. For example, if you have the uh, chair factory, and the, the domain expert knows everything about uh, chairs and what they're made of and the relation between uh, all the all the entities. So when you could enable those, do, those domain experts to uh, define an entity model, from the information they know, and you can put that in the hands of the developer, uh, there won't be a translation phase between the domain expert and the developer. Right, so you're really making that seamless. It's about yeah. less translation time and, and yeah. more being able to model. Yes. So then you have the, uh, all the, the expression power for the domain expert, and he he can define the model. The The, 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 the technical people can... Uh, map it to an existing database or generate a new one. Right. And and do those little things that say, if we do it this way, it'll be more performant or this will tolerate changes. Those sorts of things are really technical issues. Yes. The domain guy doesn't have to worry about that. Yes. So the technical guy will just look at what's efficient for, for, for the application when, when they are writing it. And um, the domain expert will but just focus on, on what the relationship is between, between the stair, chair and the uh, materials and the materials and the suppliers and all the other entities. Right. 
So that's really, uh, yeah, it's a big project, but <laughs> uh, we hope to, uh, to deliver that, that kind of uh, application. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. So, Franz, should we talk about uh, the Alt.net guys and their vote of no confidence against the entity framework? Sure, why not? So, we haven't really talked about that uh, at all on the on the show. Um, okay, tell us what that was all about. Um. I think the philosophy behind the, the whole uh, petition was that uh, uh, most of them are consultants, are working projects and then move on to another project. Uh, right. And when they are forced to work with the entity framework uh, because of the, the project lead is fund of the entity framework, for example, yeah. they are faced with all the limitations they think the entity framework has. So... What they really want is that the entity framework will be will fit into how they want to work. Yeah. Like through Poco, test driven first, uh, lazy loading the way they want to. Right. Um, because the alternative, uh, what you can say, well, just use an hibernate and shut up. But that's not the choice they have because the project lead says, well, you use the entity framework. Right. I think that was the philosophy behind the petition. Um, it was a little... Um, the the wording in the petition was a little uh, overreacting, I think. Hmm. There were a lot of points made that I I would like to see more proof of. So um, I think that was the little... Yeah. Was the, the, um, I think a reason why it didn't get signed a lot. Have you worked in as a consultant where you uh, where the guy in charge is uh, doesn't listen to reason and says you know when you come to him and says this tool that you want to use we can't do well you know the, if we do that we won't be able to do this we won't be able to do this and we won't be able to do that if we use this tool we'll be able to do all those things yes and 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 the person still says no I'm sorry this is the way it's going to be. Yeah, I think everybody has met uh, one or two of those people uh, in his professional life. Yes, well, I mean, by that same token, they could have said, and we're going to use ODBC, and that's all there is to it. Well, yeah, I mean, I I'm, <clears throat> I would just question the uh, success of that project from the get-go if, they, if somebody is bent on using a tool that logically doesn't make sense. No. I don't know. I think uh, also the, a lot of uh, the large uh, consulting firms are now a bit in in trouble because they they want to standardize their their uh, software streets factories yeah. Yeah. on uh, on one technique and because Microsoft has now released their their uh, enterprise framework um, I think they just want to to standardize on entity framework but they're now also seeing that this version one and has a, some limitations they they really want to get rid of mm-hmm. so they 
I think they are now a bit puzzled what to do now, but um, if you're a bit stubborn as project manager, I think they will just uh, move on and think, well, let's use the anti-framework for now. It's for Microsoft. can't hurt us. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just, you know, you can't just use the entity framework and impair your productivity. If it's not going to do what you want it to yeah. do, no. that, that's really a problem. It's better to just stay back with plain old data access objects. Yeah, yeah or use N Hibernate or LBGen or any, any of the other tools that make sense. Yeah. Because yeah. to me, it doesn't seem like they're that far apart. Everybody has a mapper and everybody creates an object layer. <laughs> yeah, that's basically true. That's the, the basic uh, persistence uh, layer you really start with. Yes. But then, and, then, uh, and that's, you know, uh, to the alt.netter's point, we do, the goal here is not to pepper our business logic with persistence code and other code that's really plumbing to making your app work. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the desire of the, that's the lure of, the, of an ORM. Yeah. Yeah, but you always have to face the the plumbing and the the, the effects of what uh, the ORM layer has on your application. Mm. Because if you use ADO.NET with store procedures, you have no services and no features whatsoever uh, about, built into the entities themselves, for example. Right. Or entity management and validation, you also have to write it uh, by hand. So when you use an entity... Uh, an, an ORM uh, for doing your persistence work, it always comes with a set of features that you can use. Oh, that, that's nice. Oh, that, it, it's built in, so you, so you use it. Um, and when the ORM mapper doesn't have the feature, you still have to write the code to make that your validation and your authorization and your auditing work. So, the effect of the choice which ORM layer you you make has a big effect on, on the application you sure. have to write. Sure. Well, it's certainly a, an impact on productivity, the additional work you have to do to actually make that thing work. Yes. I mean, we really are looking at ORMs to save ourselves effort in the long run, and if they don't do that, why bother? Yeah, that, that's exactly true. Uh, right. But you see in, 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 in uh, the, the first uh, visual object mapping designers around, were, they were built with uh, DSL tools for Microsoft. Right. And that's really a productivity killer because you, you spend an hour dragging and dropping stuff on a canvas, but you can also type it in in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> if you just typed it in, you'd be done. Yeah. For example, if you say customer one too many order, you have defined two orders of two entities and one relationship. Right. And when you drag an entity on a canvas and you drag another one on a canvas and you have to drag a line and you have to click on something and then you can type in the name, it's a lot of more a actions you have to do. Yeah, it's not as it, I guess it depends on how you work too. I, you know, drag and droppy tools always appeal to people who are just learning. Yeah. When you actually want to be productive, you find keystrokes will actually save you time. Yeah, definitely. So te textual DSLs or a mixture between visual and text is is really uh, something we will see in the near future. 
in, in, in tools who really are focused on, on more productivity for developers. Yeah, and I've never thought in terms of DSLs being purely visual. I've always really thought of them in terms of language, but it, I guess it's just not happening that way, at least not yet. Well, with textual DSLs, you, uh, um, if you have a file-based DSL, where we just write the text and save it to a file and run it to an interpreter, for example, right? that's not really a problem. But um, in version 3, I also started with a, a textual DSL for, for defining the entities. It was really fast. You can type in everything, and um, but I, but what I also wanted is that whatever you type in, it will update the model in memory, so it has true round tripping. Right. But then you have the problem that you have to compile or interpret the text you have to a AST, and you have to interpret the AST to what has changed in the model, and it's very hard, if not undoable, to link uh, the text in your editor to an object in some object graph. So textual DSLs look nice, but when you really want to have a round-trip um, model updating from your text you type, which you type in, it's really, really hard to do. Right. And you want to you time when you're going to do that, because you're likely to type more. So rather than parsing each line and, and starting to work on the problem, maybe look at the whole... Yeah. Often these statements work in collaboration with each other. Yes. So, so if you have a mixture between visual stuff and, and textual DSLs, um, you you can get the benefits of both. For example, when you use a grid, this really might sound stupid, but when you have a grid, yeah, in the new line on the uh, on the grid, and you start typing, you know which column you are, so you can provide the, the best intelligence. Uh, possible for that column. So when you press top, you go to another column and you know what what is displayed there and that the user can type something in it will filter the intelligence line. Right, the uh, visualization gives us context. Yes. So it's very easy, for example, to, to specify a lot of fields for an entity in a grid-like manner. Um, and when you look at it, defining a lot of fields in a Textual editor, it's almost as much keystrokes as uh, in a grid. But in a grid, you know exactly what element is behind each cell. So right. the round tripping is really there. That's interesting. That's one of the best descriptions I've ever heard of why you'd want to do it so visually. Uh, you know, just I think language, I think text, and, and that's actually a better way. But then at the same time, you were saying, you know, the whole draggy, droppy, connecting up relationships things is not as efficient as when you, you could type it. Yeah. Yeah, well, you can have both, of course. But if you want to define a new model, or say the, to the domain expert, type all the entities you have into this text editor. So you can type in customer, enter, order, enter. So every line he types in. A new entity is cooked up if it's not already defined, for example. Right. So that way, the or the the, the domain expert can type English sentences, for example. Customer has orders. I gotta imagine that WPF can help out a lot in this um, sort of mixing text and graphics. Definitely, yeah. That's also why I was puzzled what to pick uh, with uh, the visual layer for the new designer. Right. 
Um, but fortunately, you can place a WPF uh, control on a wind form, uh, form without mm. a lot of effort right. or, or yeah. problems. So, so yeah. I think the yeah, that's a, a mixture between uh, the two and use the the, the right platform for the right right uh, visual DSL is, is pretty much uh, mm. the best you can do. You mentioned on your blog about software patents and the fact that Microsoft's got a patent about relationship sets in EDM. Yeah. And it's an interesting problem. I mean, as a guy who's also filed patents, uh, you know, in, in the in the industry, we're expected to protect our IP. And generally, you want to do that defensively versus offensively. There is a class of people out there that use patents as weapons to extract money from other companies. Yeah. But, and, you know, I, now I think about, we, you know, when you brought that up and I'm thinking about, wow, you know, we had that whole discussion with, uh, with Dan Simmons and Steve Forte around this idea that maybe ORMs would build on the EDM. But with a patent sitting there, that means you'd need some kind of patent permission. You'd need to, to yeah. license the patent. And it could be licensed for free, but it's, a, it's an obstacle to getting there. Oh, absolutely. Um. If, but if you look at the ORM uh, patents in general, I, I, I think they're more than 100 or so. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they're really a lot. And every bit you can imagine is already uh, covered with a lot of patents. Isn't this patent that you referred to just a claim so far? It's, it's really not, or, or is it set? Well, there's one legal lawsuit at the moment. The Firestar software has sued um, uh, Red Hat. Software, <clears throat> Red Hat Linux for uh, for their uh, Hibernate um, uh, mapping system. Really, really. That's been a, it's been done a year ago or so. Um, and I last time I checked, I think Red Hat started to settle with uh, Firestar. But yeah, it's really sad because Firestar is really, really expensive, like twenty thousand dollars per seat or so. Ouch! Wow. So, well, you know, there are some out, patents out there that are just not enforceable. Like uh, in Mystic, the uh, Mystic, Connecticut, where I grew up, there's a guy who claims to, well, he does have a patent on anything, any kind of video transmitted over any kind of network. Because <laughs> he's the first guy who patented that, and he patented in a very general term, and he was awarded the patent. And... <clears throat> You know, good luck with collecting on that because, yeah. you know, you're a little guy with with no resources, really. I mean, and and uh, going yeah, up against the hugest companies in the world. Yeah. Yeah, probably they will bury you with, with, with uh, legal uh, documents. That, yeah, and that's what, has, that's what has happened. And the poor guy, I mean, they've, he's got it. He had a company. He, was, he has a company, USA Video, and it's still... Uh, uh, publicly traded, although I think you, m I don't know if you can buy them over the counter anymore. You might have to get pink, pink slips. But um, yeah, a whole bunch of people bought bought stock in it during the dot com boom. Yeah, and uh, including me. But it is an interesting problem. You know, you were talking about software patents being evil. Yeah, and it's you know because it's they're they're almost like landmines. There, you could have independent creation. Then you get into the whole yeah. permissions game. Like, so what can we license? What can't we license? What do you do with it? Yeah, 
and so also um, a bit weird because actually uh, an algorithm is is really something mathematical, right? So you can it's prove a, it with and, math, and, and then you can say, well, this is an algorithm. But actually, the the patterns that are really filed are are about algorithms. So if you have a software patent that's really about an algorithm, you're really patenting a discovery, not mm. really an invention. Right. Well, here in the Netherlands, you cannot patent an idea. You can, all, you can only patent an application of an idea. And I think that's really a good step uh, to take and not, not say, well, this idea is nice, that's very clever. Here, you have a patent for this idea. With software, you don't get much further, further than, um, than the idea because the implementation, you can say the implementation is an application of the idea, but you have very much, uh, you have a lot of different implementations for the same idea. And who is saying that you wrote exactly the same implementation as the guy who patented the, the idea? That's really hard to say, if not impossible. Right. Yeah, proving and enforcing these things. And then, you know, funny, I was just reading on the flight home the whole issue around pat- the patent of Mickey Mouse <laughs> and the fact that Disney has been one of the key drivers in, in extending the duration of patents oh. because they want to keep protecting Mickey Mouse, where patent duration used to be 17 years. Oh. Yeah, oh. way back the in the US, in U.S. law, anyway, the, the, you know, back into when the... Uh, when the union was formed, it was 17 years, and they just keep adding to it. Franz, before we let you go, because we're almost out of time, you want okay. to tell us a little bit about the latest version of LLBL Gen Pro? Uh, version 2.6. All right, uh, thanks. We've been... Uh, it's great. <laughs> we'll see you later. It's been a great show. <laughs> okay, bye. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, version 2.6 is uh, mainly our uh, link provider. Okay. And a, and a couple of uh, maintenance uh, fixes and updates. Uh, I worked for eight months on our uh, link provider. Wow. To, uh, to get it fully supporting link, not only the, the basic select queries, but also the very wicked ones. Um, it was really a big struggle, but um, in the end it really paid off, and I'm glad I did it. Well, you definitely deeply know link now it, it, from a provider perspective. But what does it give the the developer to be able to use Link against LLBL Gen? Um, I think it it'll mainly bring um, flexibility because our, our native query system was uh, targeted towards compile time checking, but that had a cost. For example, that you have to write some some wicked form of code, right? Uh, more verbose code than you really want to. Um, and it also has more extensibility points because because you can um, you can now map easier .NET methods to uh, to a function construct in the, in the database. So you can really mix and match .NET code and database code in the same uh, in the same query. Nice. Um, and it's also that the people don't have to get trained to use the querying system anymore because they can just read some uh, some MSDN uh, documentation about Link and they can get started. Yeah, if they already know Link, then they know a big chunk of how to use LLBL Gen. Yes, and that's I think that's the main advantage for uh, having Link as a, as a query system in your OR mapper. 
Excellent. So ultimately going to be the recommended way to use LLBLGN is through Link? Yes. And if, of course, Link has, has some, some, some limitations that you cannot do everything. So um, you, always have to, you can always fall back to our native API. But if you start with Link, mainly you, you, can, you can write 99% of all your queries with it. And get all that cool heterogeneous joining tricks and, and things like that. Yes. Excellent. All right, Franz, I think we've come down to the end of the show here. So, okay. Uh, it's been great talking to you. And thanks, by the way, uh, Franz's blog is at weblogs.asp.net slash fbauma, F-B-O-U-M-A. Thank you, Franz. Okay, thank you for having me again. Excellent. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com Got a transmitter band by the FCC Yes, I'm a 